right, the Buffalo Bread Podcast, Week 15 Preview and Week 14 Review. Uh, in Week 14, our beloved Buffalo Bills played a sloppy slog fest against the uh, hated New Jersey Jets. Um, I was in attendance at the game. I would have uh, loved to grab some live audio of fans and, the, and do some interview type stuff in the parking lot. But to be honest, I was too busy uh, trying to stay warm in an incre- incredibly cold, wet, and sometimes windy environment. Um, and I was using liberal amounts of alcohol to help me in those endeavors. So it didn't get that done. Uh, and my apologies <laughs> to everyone who might have enjoyed that. We'll have to kind of revisit the live fan stuff in a nice, nicer weather game down the, down the line. But um, how are you feeling, Dan? I have a lot of thoughts about this Jets game and certainly even more thoughts about the Dolphins upcoming tomorrow night. Oh, God. I Listen, I know based on our text messages, we are probably going to shit on this offense. And and listen, but whether like whether the context of the weather taking into account, I do think this offense deserves some smoke. Um, not the John Brown smoke, but like actual smoke. Right. Because I think 14 weeks in, I think the offensive play is what it is. And we've got enough of a sample size. I don't think there's a switch, even if it's Cole Beasley, who I'm sure we're going to talk about too, that the Bills can flip with this. But I want to put some stuff into a larger, broader context. This Jets game is exactly the type of game we would have crushed this team for losing last year. We'd have called them soft. We'd have called them not physical, not built for the elements, not built for Buffalo. So I just want to point out that even though the Bills aren't winning with style, they are winning. And they're winning the types of games that you need to win against other really good defenses. The Miami Dolphins are going to come into this game having lost two straight. The Miami Dolphins feasted on a weak portion of their schedule for a large chunk of the season. And now they have run up against these prove-it games in the past three weeks, and they're not proving it. The Bills, on the other hand, are 10-3, and with by DVOA as the measure, the sixth hardest schedule in the league played to date. So even though we are going to talk about the problems on this offense, and rightfully so, we should also take a moment to bask in the gloriousness of the Buffalo Bills, who are not at full strength, not playing their best football yet, still managing to beat really good teams in really competitive games, which is a step of progress from last year. Now, this offense is in a lot of trouble, and we're going to talk about why. Yeah. But I, I, wanted, I wanted to start it out with some of those positive notes. The team is 10-4, and four, they're playing a tough schedule, and they're doing relatively well. But I think there's a lot of troubling signs that we just have to take as, as part of the larger sample size and we need to unpack with this, this offense, particularly on Josh Allen on third and seven and more to go because the stats there are really concerning but jj uh dealer's choice where do you want to start with this game you want to start on the bills offensive side of the ball or you want to start on the defensive side of the ball so i'd like to start uh you know if i was sal capaccio i'd say i'd like to start with the arrow down which is the bills offense Um, yes because i think that we can end on a high note to wrap up the the jets game with the defense um but the bills offense I, i I see a couple of things, and we've talked about this on a few podcasts to this juncture, um, and I mentioned during the preview of the Jets game that an angry Josh Allen is is one of the best Josh Allens we can, we can present. What we saw in this game against the Jets, though, was the downside. It was the, the critical flaw, the fatal flaw of an angry Josh Allen, which is when the conditions or the other players in the offense are not on the same page with angry Josh Allen throwing the ball deep downfield, 
or the opposing players, you know, Sauce Gardner, uh, Reed on the outside, are very skilled. Angry Josh Allen is it, it it backfires because there were plenty. I could you know I was sitting up in the three hundred level. I had a great view of the field on every passing route. The weather was absolute shite, and it seemed like there was plenty of stuff to be done underneath. There were plenty of checkdowns available. I do not fault Ken Dorsey whatsoever for this game plan, uh, not presenting opportunities for the to put the Bills in in good position and keep ahead of the chains. I, what I saw a lot of was the pass rush was getting home. Uh, Spencer Brown was having his his lunch eaten every single play by anybody. I mean, even when he was getting chip help, he couldn't even hold for an extra second with a chip. The, so the whole was, right yeah. side of that offensive oh, yes. line yeah. is trash. Just trash. Just absolute garbage. And so between the offensive line failing Josh Allen and then Josh Allen refusing to take the available quick strike underneath throw, um, that's what we. That's why we saw ten punts by the Jets and the Bills consecutively in the first. You know, the first quarter, it was you know almost halftime before anything started happening offensively for either team, and so really the offense was it was rough to watch. It was a miserable game to be at, even if it was seventy and sunny, because just they were just not executing anything. There were again massive drop issues on the offense. There was, again, massive pressure on Josh Allen. He was running for his life most of the game, and even when he had a clean pocket, he didn't trust it. He was, you know, getting happy feet and trying to escape. So it was tough. They could not get the run established. Uh, probably the best thing that could have possibly happened for the offense was Quinnen Williams going down with an injury, and he might be out for a couple weeks now. And that, and as much as I hate it, like, that really was a turning point in the game. They did not have anything producing before he left, and then after he left, they ended up starting to score enough points to get by. Oh, man. It's, listen, I will I will maintain and that we're not going to know until the end of the season, and we may never know, how hurt Josh Allen is. Mm-hmm. But he looks really, really hurt. And I think you couple that with some of the some of the inadequacies of some of the offensive weapons, and specifically Isaiah McKenzie. I think it's just not a really good formula right now for the Bills to hit their max offensive efficiency. We talked about this, I want to say, five or six pods ago, potentially, where if you look at the first four, four to six weeks of the season, you see the ball distribution across uh, each third of the field, left, middle, and right being pretty even for Josh, exploiting every level, every area of the field pretty equally. What's happened since he has gotten hurt is that he's no longer utilizing the middle of the field. That also coincides with the fact that teams are now playing way more zone. They've gone back to that that cover two, that too high zone defense yep. that the Jets rolled out in week nine. And ever since then, other teams have basically followed suit, trying to Rush four, drop seven. That leaves weak spots in the middle of this defense that Josh doesn't right now have the arm health to be able to exploit with max efficiency. Add to the fact that Isaiah McKenzie is a man beater, not a zone beater. And we've talked about his catching mechanics needing to be able to grab the ball on the run. You're basically taking away the middle of the field from Josh. Over the last four weeks, Josh has averaged just over 30 passing attempts and only an average of 5.7 of those attempts are in the middle of the field. Everything is going to the boundaries. Add to the fact 
that the Buffalo Bills didn't really throw near Sauce Gardner for whatever reason. They didn't even test him in that game on Sunday. And you've got Josh limited to exclusively one side of the field and one boundary of the field. They're trying to beat the zone as opposed to exploiting the soft spots in the middle. They keep trying to beat that zone, JJ, by dropping it over the top when a DB comes up to guard the flat or a linebacker comes up to guard the flat and they pass off uh, a pass catcher to the safety. Josh is trying to drop the ball in in that soft spot between those two players, Mm -hmm. which means he needs to hold it on for longer, waiting for his guys to get separation. And when he holds on to the ball longer, the pocket is breaking down. So since Josh got hurt, his average time to throw has actually increased from 2.6 seconds to 2.8 seconds, which is a death sentence behind this line. Add to the fact that his aggressiveness rating, according to NFL Next Gen Stats, has also gone down. So an aggressiveness rating is a measure of how willing and what portion of your QB's throws he's willing to throw into tight windows, which is coverage that is two yards or less between the next closest DB and the receiver. That number for Josh pre-injury was 20%. And you and I talked about how some of those throws were preternatural, right? They were just like supernatural stuff, the windows he was fitting things into. Since his injury that stat has gone down from 20 to 12%. So what does this tell us? He is holding on to the ball too long, waiting for his guys to get separation because he doesn't have the arm health to sling it into tight windows right now. And because they don't have any weapons in the mi- that can exploit the soft spots in the middle of a zone, he's limited to throwing to the boundaries, which forces him to drop the ball basically into a perfect spot, mm-hmm. but it also kills the yak game too. According to, uh, according to a pro football reference, Josh Allen, his yak percentage is in the bottom quarter of QBs in the league. He's getting the least support in yak for his throws. So this Buffalo Bills offense, even when it's clicking, is basically Josh thrown to a guy and that guy getting immediately tackled, right? And having to plod down the field. There's a lot going on that I think centers around Josh's health. But also, at some point, this team has to acknowledge that they haven't built enough in the middle of in the to attack the middle of that field by a slot or some of these in crossing routes that so many other teams run so successfully that I think hasn't served Josh well either. They're limiting him to the boundaries and that's it. And it's really costing this team. Um, it's really costing this team a lot of its efficiency on offense. And I'm sure you saw a bunch of that in the game on Sunday. I know I did. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and you're absolutely right. I think that because of the nature of what routes and what throws or what routes he's looking for and what throws he's willing to make, it's a perfect storm of him not having the, you know, the the feel in his arm because of the injury to hit the spots he needs to hit. Um, and then those spots he needs to hit requiring uh, way more protection than this line's capable of giving him. And that will continue this week. I think unless he's willing to, do the quick dump down passes that will probably be there again with that too high shell, um, then he's going to continue suffering pressure, um, inability to kind of have a nice flat base when he needs to do that, the dime you're talking about, over the linebackers, under the safeties, inside or outside of the corner. That throw needs, he needs to have a completely clean base and nothing around him to make, to hit those because those are the most, those are the most difficult throws in the league. Those are the throws that, the Buffalo Bills defense has predicated its its whole scheme against Lamar Jackson, Tua Tagovailoa, um, Mac Jones. You know, like is 
yep. forcing those players to make the, the, the hardest throw in the NFL um, to go over underneath coverage and in front of over-the-top coverage, uh, that that is a difficult throw to make, and it's not there for Josh Allen because of the lack of protection. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah. I, I saw all of that, and I think that you can see also the presence of that scheme and that reason for the offensive woes in the fact that they signed Cole Beasley, who couldn't make it work on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for more than two weeks. Um, and they're just sort of they're throwing their chips in on somebody who is probably a low probability of recapturing what he had. I think that we all saw last year in the latter parts of the season. I know that he was dinged up here and there, but he did not look the same. But they're just desperate for somebody who can find a soft spot to give to give Josh Allen an easy throw somewhere in zone coverage. They, they signed Cole Beasley specifically for the stat that I'm about to read. Josh Allen's completion percentage on throws that are on third down in between seven and nine yards to the sticks is 48%. Third and 10 to go is 40%, which that percentage tends to be lower because you're talking about massive throws. But this third and seven and nine to go is Cole Beasley territory, right? Beasley could sit down in his prime, find the soft spot in any zone coverage, and just provide a nice big square target for Josh to hit. I, I think it tells you everything you need to know about how this coaching staff feels about Khalil Shakir and Isaiah McKenzie. Yep. If you see Cole Beasley starting to get into the game in meaningful moments tomorrow on some of these third and seven, third and eight, third and nine to goes. And JJ, to your point, and we didn't, we, it's crazy that we didn't see more of this in the Jets game. And I think, you know, we're, we're weaving our, weaving our pregame for the uh, Dolphins into this postgame talk for the Jets, but there's really a lot of commonalities between the two. It's crazy that with that defensive pass rush for the Jets, that there weren't more quick check down stuff, that the degree of difficulty was so high for the Bills. Here's Josh Allen's completion percentage on throws that are less than 2.5 seconds with him in the pocket. It's 69.26%. Throws of oh, throws of uh, that Josh makes after he's been in the pocket for longer than two point five seconds, completion percentage drops thirteen whole points to fifty six percent, and he's thrown eight of his eleven TDs when he's been forced to hold on to the ball longer. Like you said, we saw the the San Francisco 49ers and the LA Chargers employ this very strategy against Tua, where they took away the middle of the field, they forced Tua to hang onto the ball question his first and second read, and force him to make mistakes. It's exactly what's happening to Josh. Now, in the past, Josh has been a guy who has wanted to hold on to the ball longer, looking for some of those home run, home run plays. And some of the, that big play toxic differential stuff is still there. But it's coming at the expense of the consistency of this offense to move the chains, which has precipitously decreased from the bye up until now. Josh's health plays a big part in that, but I also think some of the assemblage of this offensive talent on the roster is is, pre- is presenting some of those problems too. And a team like the Jets, who with Sauce Gardner shuts down one whole side of the field, is really adept at exploiting some of those deficiencies and weaknesses. I'm not sure Miami will be able to do it with, with the, the same success. And this is a team, for whatever reason, even after drafting Bradley Chubb, that still blitzes like crazy, and Josh is pretty good against the blitz. But we'll we'll see how that plays out. But I think the I think what we saw with the Jets was the Bills' willingness to let themselves be limited, mm-hmm. and I just I've never seen the Bills 
over the past three years allow a team to dictate their pace of play and their style of play in the way that the Jets had in week nine and then this past game in week 14. It's it's unfathomable to me. This was this was pre-2017 Bills to me. Yeah, where they, they really, it wasn't just playing down the competition, but it was scrabbling to try to stay competitive in a game in which the other team was scheming a Scheming you out of your yourself. Yeah, 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 and and I think that that's that's what I saw on offense too. It's really upsetting because you love to think of this like Lamborghini offense that the Bills came into the season with, um, but without protection and without reliable pass catching options outside of Stefan Diggs, we're going to continue to see this like this. Yep. This is the reason that in the first three rounds of any draft going forward in the next two years. Um, they need to focus on offense, whether that's the, the trenches or weapons and targets. Because I was looking back at it recently, and in the entirety of Sean McDermott's time in Buffalo, and, and that's including the, the one draft he did alone before Brandon Bean came to town, they have spent one draft pick on an offensive player, that was Josh Allen. They spent another draft pick to trade for Stefan Diggs, so we'll count that too. But they've not done anything in the first round on offense, not a single draft of their five years, other than Josh Allen once, and they also spent one a one on Tremaine Edmonds that same draft, and then they traded one away for Stephon Diggs. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's been defense, and it's been defense-focused for the first two rounds almost every single year. They really need to rebuild. You know, it's great that you have this unicorn Josh Allen, but now don't get him killed with no protection and don't give him no outlet on the outside other than stuff on digs like that's those are the problems this is and I, I went into this pot today i was like oh, when i do the pod later don't shit all over the bills they are 10 <laughs> and 3 they're the number one seed in the afc that they've tiebreakers against yeah, all the division leaders tiebreakers <laughs> against all the division leaders they've won 10 games for like the fourth fourth, fourth. you know consecutive or fourth season in sean mcdermott's tenure and they didn't have double-digit wins for most of my adult life. And then on top of that, they've done all this with one of the hardest strengths of schedule and lost the third most games to injury in the entire league. So, like, I, I know that we sound so we sound as if we're talking we about do. a 3-10 and team instead of a 10-3 and three team. But it really, I mean, I think it's just because we recognize how talented this roster is and we recognize the opportunity that the Bills have. And the fact that they have been able to dominate very good competition and they've been able to squeak out wins in in less than ideal conditions and situations. And so this is a gritty team. It's a team that I believe in. And so, you know, of course you're going to be critical when you know what they're capable of. Absolutely. I mean, this is an argument for why the Bills are, are not achieving what we feel is their offensive ceiling. It's not an argument against results on the field. They're just leaving a lot of meat on the bone on these offensive drives, and we are not used to seeing that from the past two seasons. And I know for me what looms in the back of my mind is it's great that the the Bills have beat so many quality opponents because when they get to the postseason, they're only going to face quality opponents. But what looms in the back of my mind is Patrick Mahomes, that jet-setting offense in KC, field goals and punts are not enough to, to beat that team whether you're at home or on the road in KC. So when I see the Bills leaving points on the field like they did on uh, this past Sunday um, and like they've been doing for the past couple of weeks, 
all I can think about is the damage KC would do with those extra opportunities because Absolutely. they've played quality overall teams, but they haven't really played it. Like, I think I would make the argument that Miami is going to be the highest quality offense they will face until they face Cincinnati in a couple of weeks. Yeah, no, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. It's, it, you know, it's a double-edged sword that they've, they've placed, or they've played teams with winning records, and that determines strength of schedule. But that doesn't mean that the high, the highest winning records strength of schedule is all great teams. Those teams right. are dictated by who they play on their schedule, right? So there are some kind of posers amongst them that would bump up the strength of schedule that, uh, that you know, doesn't really reflect how good the, the opponents were. Um, do you want to, I'm going to recover, I'm going to recover and review our predictions sure to go wrong. And yes, then we can flip to I think the they defense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I want to, I want to start with my James wrong. Cook. Okay. Yeah. I want to start with my James Cook prediction because what the hell was going on with that? That dude had a breakout game. <laughs> yeah. That dude had a breakout game. And you're in weather conditions that actually dictate you utilize a guy like James Cook. Yeah. And what would he had under five touches that game? Yeah, he had under five touches. He was non-existent. Like three rushes for like four yards or something. Um, you had James Cook seventeen and a half touches, uh, and you took the under with sixteen. I took the over with twenty-two because I was like James Cook, James Cook, savior of the offense. He's finally cooking, yeah, right? Finally cooking. It, Cooks is finally so, cooking. I know his name. Here, so again, and and again, we're going to sound ungrateful for our, <laughs> our fortunes of a ten and three team, and I feel yes. like we're being such we're being just such whiners about we're such this. Privileged but assholes. Yeah, we really are. And like, I'm going to listen to this pod, and I'm going to like make my kids listen to it. I'll be like, you, this is the type of fan me you never turn this into. This is kids. being bratty. Yeah. Be grateful for yeah. what you have, right? Yeah. But but it's interesting to bring up in the context of what you've talked about with bills and recent use of premium draft picks there are two things i cannot figure out for the life of me one what is the plan for james cook because you drafted this guy and then you gave up draft capital for naheem hines and you're not and you're still like using motor in all of these sets where you thought would use one of those two guys right he's a i get i get the bills traditionally don't like to put a lot on their rooks but he's a second round pick he just had a breakout game why would you kill that momentum and arguably conditions that would have maximized his skill set. What are they doing with Cook? And then as we talk about premium draft capital, my understanding is they spent a number one draft pick on some guy named Kair Elam, who was a healthy scratch was a healthy scratch in favor of Xavier Rhodes a couple of weeks ago. And then Rhodes gets uh, uh, is not active for this game. But then Dane Jackson gets a hundred percent of the snap counts opposite of Trey White, and Elam doesn't see the field at all. Now, I speculated that he's probably still hurt, right? And he's been dealing with some some uh, lingering issues from that injury he got a couple of weeks back, and the Bills just aren't disclosing any of that. But if that, because that's the only explanation I have for why you would take arguably your best cover man corner and you would sit him in a situation and allow Dane Jackson to to absorb so many of those snaps. Because Trey White, for as good as he looked, is still not up to speed. He got burned a couple of times by Wilson in this game, right? And we are about to go into a game where the strategy for beating this team has been what we said it was back in week three, which is press coverage and get pressure on Tua, right? You fucking draft, pardon my language, Kyrie Elam, exactly for a game like this. So either you've just been giving him 
an extended bi- a set of bye weeks to get him ready to man up Jalen Waddle, or there is something seriously wrong. But what are the Bills doing with some managing some of this young talent? You're Khalil Shakir, and you can't get on the field over Isaiah McKenzie or now apparently Cole Beasley, yeah. right? Despite the flashes that you've shown in both preseason and the regular season. I, what are the Bills doing with some of these guys they draft? I just don't freaking understand it. Sorry, that was a. I'm such a. I'm such a brat. I'm so sorry. I love Brandon Bean. This is crazy that I'm talking. (laughs) I'm a crazy person. I believe in Brandon Bean too, but I am. I'm with you in that. Like it's, it's not as if the roster is so stacked that there's. It's an impossibility for Kyrie Elam or Khalil Shakur to get on the get on the field. They've literally scrapped scrapped together street free agents and Xavier Rhodes, and Cole Beasley just to try to make it by at the positions that two of their top five draft picks play in the absence of those picks. Like I, I too, you know, I want to, I think the positive part of me wants to believe that Kyrie Elam has an undisclosed injury, hasn't been yeah. on the injury report and they can't really make him inactive as an injured player. It's against NFL rules to do so, but then I don't understand why they wouldn't. So it, it really, to me, the, the most, the, you know, Occam's razor, the simplest explanation is probably the most the most truthful. I feel like some, he's messed up somehow. He's like, got to be he's hurt. He's messed he's up. Getting... No, I'm not talking about hurt. I think he is like oh. a practice liability or he's got oh. a personality conflict with the, with the coaches. Um, something is going on with oh, him. I hope that's no. what it is. And, and I'll tell you some little insider intel. I went to the Bills game with a, with a kid who um, – what up, Andrew? Um, who played <laughs> – who he, uh, as an internship, worked at St. John Fisher during Bill's training camp with the Bill's operations. He was an intern there. Um, and he said that among all the Bill's players, Kyrie Elam was the biggest dickhead of all of them. Treated mm-hmm. everybody who wasn't a coach or a, or a staff member with the Bills that, you know, wasn't a coach or a player, like they were garbage and was just not a nice person. And that Khalil That's Shakur nice. was one of the nicest people he met at the entire thing. But that Kyrie Elam was like one of those people that everybody hated, um, and so oh, I man. that like I'm I'm trust this dude. I, I just you know met him this weekend, but I have no reason to believe he would just make that story up. So um, I heard that I was like my heart broke. So I was like God, did they, that doesn't sound like a process guy. It sounds like maybe they wanted who was picked immediately in front of them by the Chiefs. Was it oh McDuffie? McDuffie was it McDuffie? McDuffie yeah. or Booth? I, I don't recall. So I think Booth went to Tennessee. Oh, that's right. So, like, the thought I had was like, oh my gosh, what if Brandon Bean had to sacrifice character for talent, and this kid's not good, and like he's button heads with somebody or some reason he's benched right now, uh, and that does not bode well, especially given the fact that he's from NFL bloodlines and his uncle and father, neither of whom had long careers, and neither of whom I've ever heard any NFL you know, legend or player talk favorably of. Like, maybe they're just a bad people. You know, so, and, and yeah. the reality is I don't think we're ever we're, we're we're going to know. Gonna know. No. We're never going to know. But it will be very telling if in a, in a situation against Miami where you clearly need to man up, mm-hmm. play press coverage as opposed to die by the zone, it'll be very telling if Dane Jackson again gets a majority of these snaps and Elam doesn't see the yep. field. It'll be very telling. That that will be that will be what kind of pushes it over for me to believe that it's a he's a he's a problem. It's not that he has a problem, it's that he is a problem. 
Um, because I, oh, if and and believe me on this, NFL teams all the time. If somebody got dinged up and they didn't make the right designation and they can't really play them, so they have to make them inactive. I know there are teams that probably will say, "Oh, he got he rolled his ankle in practice on Tuesday. He's on the injury report now, just to fix that and get it on the books as you need to." They haven't chosen to do that. They've just made him inactive for two consecutive weeks and not given him snaps. So I'm I'm more and more suspicious. The longer this goes on, the less I think it's about his availability, and the more I think it's about his ability. Dear God, that would be terrifying. <laughs> yes. To to miss to miss on a pick like that. I mean, his stat line since the oh George P- the George Pickens disaster is good. Yeah. He's getting better in zone, but his man stat line is incredible. Right? I, like, is it? I don't know how you... I mean, yeah. listen, Ty, Tyreek Hill is a domestic abuser, and yeah. he has a job. You're telling right. me the Bills can't work... You're telling me the Bills can't work with a kid who's, like, a little bit of a dick? Like, right, right. Well, that's I've got I'm a saying. three-year-old like, son who I love. He's a little bit of a dick. I'm not going to bench him. <laughs> yeah, you're going to bench him. He still gets prime, prime play as the number one He does. Son. He does. Yeah. He still gets play time and all yeah. that kind of fun, fun daddy I time stuff, I, right? I don't know, man. So, like, let's... <laughs> Let's keep going. Give Elam some daddy time, Sean. Give him some daddy time. Come on. Um, we're, we're going off the rails. Let's yeah, get to I've, the... I've had a couple let's, beers, but hold up. Let's just okay, clear, let's clear the back. deck of our outcomes and props. I had the Bills winning 31-17. to 17. Sadly, uh, they didn't quite get there. Um, and I had them over and covering. And so um, <laughs> that didn't happen. They didn't cover. They didn't go over. You had them under and not covering, which was both accurate. Uh, yep. But you did have them winning twenty-seven or twenty-four to seventeen. You gave the, the Jets a little bit more credit than they deserved, and the Bills a little bit more credit. But you were right in the right in that strike zone with the the distance between the winning score and the and the, and the runner-up. So, kudos to you, sir. Um, we both had Mike White throwing two two interceptions. Uh, he did not throw any. In fact, there were no mm-hmm. interceptions thrown in the game. Um, Just two fumbles. Yes, two fumbles. The Bills almost got an interception in the Ed zone, the strike where I think Tremaine Edmonds jumped up and had a hand on it after a tip ball, but that that was it. Um, We also, you know, of course, with no interceptions, Trey White did not get an interception, which we were really hopeful that Trey would get back on the field with that. Um, You said Josh Allen under three and a half sacks. I also said Josh Allen under three and a half sacks. Um and we were both right. Josh Allen was mm-hmm. sacked three times. so um, they Pressured were, incessantly, but yeah. <laughs> pressured at an almost constant rate, but it was not brought down. Uh, and so that, that runs us through all of our props and, and predictions. Um, comments quickly before we flip over to the Dolphins on the, the Jets-Bills and the Bills defense versus this Jets offense. Shout out to Mike White. That yeah. was as gut, gutsy oh as a God. performance as I've seen. And it, it may very well have cost him the starting job for the rest of the season because he is not medically cleared to play against the Lions this weekend. And Zach Wilson will be back in the lineup for, for your New Jersey Jets. Yes. So, so, but Mike White, gutsy as hell. And it just, it just goes to prove to you, Q, QB wins are not a real stat. Yeah. Zach Wilson is 5-2 and two, is the Jets starter. He's led them to the majority of their wins. Joe Flacco and Mike White, who statistically and aesthetically played better games than Zach Wilson did, a combined one and four this season as Jet starters. It it just goes to show you that that QB win is a stupid stat and should never be quoted as anything that's meaningful because Mike White has played his ass off 
And for my money, when healthy and cleared, he should get that job back over Zach Wilson. Yeah, and I, I mean, I saw, you know, you wouldn't have seen this on the broadcast, but, you know, from the stands, I saw Mike White get an entire uh, torso uh, replacement on the sideline in order to come back into that game because <laughs> um, you may or may not have known, but but Matt, uh, Matt Milano, and sorry to use, you know, very uh, in-depth medical terms, but Matt Milano absolutely borked his entire chestal cavity. <laughs> and that one hit, and he had to have a full sterniotomy. So it's that yeah. that is, we have gone beyond WebMD. We are into <laughs> encyclopedic knowledge That's of right. the human anatomy yeah. that even doctors don't know. That's right. Um, know. So yeah, no, but I, I would yeah. agree with you. He was gutsy as hell. I I do think that maybe the Jets medical personnel failed him a little bit in protecting him from himself because I have no doubt that he was the one who was like, "I'm going back in. I'm yeah. good. I'll go." But I mean, to go to have to go to the hospital immediately after to be scanned for possible like bruised or torn internal organs, you probably shouldn't have gone back back out there. He was getting right. absolutely destroyed. The Buffalo he Bills was. had pressure on him on forty percent of his dropbacks, which is just that's, not not okay. No, that's yeah. not okay. Um, is there is there a division with a worst? a worse showing of offensive lines in the AFC East. Like we've talked about yeah, the bills and how terrible so. they are. The dolphins absolutely atrocious as well. We saw what the New York jets were and how they got exploited. And we've talked about the Patriots and how, how much they suck in both run and run blocking win rate and also protecting Mac Jones. Like I I'm trying to think division by division. If there's a, a worse foursome of offensive lines in the league, but I'm, I'm going to say no because there's at least one team in every division that has a good offensive line except ours. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's really bad. Like, Yeah, um, it's, ter- it's terrible. Yeah. These young QBs are – I mean, luckily we have a, a QB who is a tank under center yeah. and is yeah. built to take this kind of punishment at least for now. But, and I not mean, even, dear God. Not even just punishment, but built to make his offensive – save his offensive line from being the most horrific pass-blocking unit in the league. Um, yeah. Because he is his escapability. One thing that I thought, you know, we've been talking all all year long about, like, oh my gosh, like Bates, Saffold, Spencer Brown, they're like they're all complete turnstiles in, in you know protect in pass protection most snaps. Um, Saffold, I think, tweeted a couple weeks ago, zero sacks. You know, I'll do whatever it is it takes to stay back in Buffalo or stay in Buffalo. Which I really I appreciate it when players love the place they play and basically we're right. saying like here's a hometown discount I want us to ground I really like what this team's doing that makes me believe in the coaching staff Brandon Bean what they're building I, I like that but the thing of it is is like his zero sacks immediately disappeared once Quinn and Williams got got in town because you know he gave up one really 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 bad sack on Josh Allen yeah. and part of the reason that he's been successful in limiting the sacks he's given up, even though he's given up ample pressures, is the fact that inside pressure from Saffold's spot with Morse on one side and Dawkins on the other meant that Josh Allen almost always had some lane because another person was being blocked to escape the pressure that Saffold gives up. And so his brag, I would just want, oh my gosh, like I'm not going to tweet at players bullshit because... I did that once or twice, and I don't like me when I'm like that. But I just, I just wanted to like <laughs> blow that up. I just wanted to be like, 
just like post a bunch of like cut up gifts of all of the pressures he'd surrendered and the fact that Josh Allen only saved his bacon because he was escapable and because Morris or Dawkins were holding their blocks. So we, yeah. we, we are 36 minutes into this thing and we've tried on three occasions to shift the conversation over to the Bills defense and we keep, <laughs> and, and we just bad. keep riding and we keep riding this Bills offense, <sighs> I think justifiably so, but also because the Bills defense is at a place where it is as healthy as it's going to mm-hmm. get at this point. Yeah. We've already discussed what the issues are of deciding who who CB2 is opposite of Trey White. But Poyer back in the lineup, Milano's going to be there, Edmonds there. Like, we got our Oliver guys there, back for this. wasn't there for yep, the Oliver, first Miami game. Yep, Rousseau um, will hopefully be able to last the full, full game yep. here yep. Um, because he's going to be exceptionally important in that um, in that run defense game in addition to getting getting uh, some pressures on Tua. But I think where I'd like to start and transition to the Miami preview is talking about this Bills defense. We've already covered their health. Um, Rousseau absolutely popped in that Jets game. Yep. Rousseau, Milano had incredible games. And when you look at what the template for beating this Miami quick strike offense has been, you've seen the 49ers and their personnel do it, and you've seen the Chargers with a lack of personnel do it, but do it with a really good scheme is you take away the middle of the field because that's where Tua wants to go on his first read. He wants to hit those quick those quick in-breaking routes and then mm-hmm. let his guys go yak crazy, right? Yep. Um, let Hill, let Waddle split the safeties and take it to the house for 60 yards. He's far less comfortable throwing it to the boundaries and the sidelines where teams are forcing him to do it. And Tua is still showing signs of being a one-read QB. And when you disrupt his wide receiver's timing, even a little bit, he immediately looks for Hill. Hill isn't where he thinks he's going to be. And his post-snap processing is still to, is still not uh, elevated to level that it needs to be for him to be able to process through those situations. So for me, I look at the personnel that the 49ers have, and I look at the scheme that the Chargers rolled out, and I'm like, if I'm the Bills... Milano and Edmonds can take away the middle of the field. Yes. Taron Johnson can take away yes. some of those in-cutting routes, right? I can play press man on the outside mm-hmm. because it, it's it's eventually Hill or Waddle are going to break one. You just need to accept that in this game. Do you want to die a death by 10,000 paper cuts and just let them dink and dunk underneath your zone the whole game and work their way into the red zone? Or do you maybe want to try to force some negative plays and force some turnovers and playing press man. And over the last two weeks, teams have decided to go press man on this team, and it has paid off because Tua is still not at a point of his execution where he can adjust to those. I don't know that the solution is Mike McDaniel scheming something for Tua, because McDaniel's scheme is good. Yeah, he's very it's, good. It, yeah. It's Tua being to execute through yeah. these moments of challenge when his first read and the optimal timing and separation isn't there. Because Tua is not a guy that makes a lot of aggressive throws, and he doesn't throw into a lot of tight windows. So if you can disrupt timing, you've got a really good chance of getting Tua to make a mistake. JJ, do you see this Buffalo Bills defense going the route of the Chargers or the Niners, or do you see them choosing to die by way of the zone? So I actually see them choosing to die by way of the zone. However, I will say that there's going to be some zone wrinkles. And the reason I say this is because one of the calling cards of Leslie Frazier's defense for the, his entirety of, of, of you know the time he's been in Buffalo 
is that he kind of stamps his foot and says, our defense is our defense and you need to beat it. We're not going to change it. You need to beat it. And I think that that's proven effective for the most part. It's His whole thing is, I'm going to have an amazing defense where everyone's in the right spot at the right time. They do their 111th. They, none of them can tackle for shit. They have a missed tackle rate of like 15 or greater percent, almost all of them. It's terrible. Um, but they're going to be in the right place. So they're either going to break up the play. We're going to depend on a fresh four up front rushing because we're going to cycle those guys in and out. What I see is is I think they're going to probably drop zone. I don't see them playing press man. I especially don't see them playing press man with a recently back from an ACL um, uh, Trey White. And I don't, I'm, I'm going to say, I don't think that Elam's going to be active for this game. If he's active for this game, it's going to be an emergency backup. I don't think he's going to get stabs. I think there's something there. There's something going on there. And I hate it because if I was, you know, if we were designing the Madden approach to this game, you know, outside reality, just with the numbers and names on the field, I do super aggressive press corner on the outside with Trey White and Kyrie Elam. I keep a too high shell on the back end with both of my safeties, and I drop both Milano and Edmonds to the deep middle to cut out everything behind. If Tua wants to throw four-yard checkdowns all day to, you know, Gesicki, who's only had like three targets or four targets in the past three weeks, or whatever running back they have, Mostert, I guess, that's how I play it. But I, what I see actually happening on game day is I see uh, Leslie Frazier, Sean McDermott, probably dropping the uh, zone sets for Milano and Edmonds a little bit deeper, maybe three or four yards deeper than they usually do, to try to force, you know, that... Um, the whole shot to be a little bit more difficult for Tua. And I also see them playing their, uh, their normal kind of drop four zone to with, with inside leverage to try to push, push the uh, wide receivers to the boundaries. Cause that's really what the, that's what the 49ers did. They rushed four, they dropped, you know, seven in zone and they played their linebackers super deep and Tua couldn't get anything done against them. I think that the chargers approach of press man, super disruptive, super physical at the top, at the line is a very high-risk approach. And they sort of did that out of desperation because they were missing four or five starters on defense. And so they, they had to do – and it was wildly effective. I really liked watching that game. But, um, but I can see the Bills being a little bit more conservative because the reality is, especially like somebody like – if it is Kyrie Elam and definitely it's a, if it's Dane Jackson, if they miss that jam, Tyreek Hill is housing it. If he doesn't, if the the safety help over the top doesn't pick him up reliably, and even if they do, he's such an explosive talent, he's housing it. So I think that that's that's why Frazier's a little bit more conservative. It's it's the we're going to make you propagate the ball down the field on thirteen and fourteen play drives, presuming that our front four is going to make something nasty happen. What I can say from having watched the Jets game is Greg Rousseau, Ed Oliver, and Matt Milano, if they get to Tua. It's not just about Tua's arm strength failing him. It's that he's soft. Mm-hmm. And I know I've made this disclaimer before. No NFL player is soft. But we know from watching Tua play this game that if he gets hit a bunch, he tends to suffer those hits. And he looks more or looks more rattled and less effective after those hits. The physicality of the game is not what he likes. He's a smaller body dude. He doesn't get juiced up by like somebody like Josh Allen 
or Ben Roethlisberger, he actually gets thrown out of his game. I, I liken that to Patrick Mahomes. Like, I think Patrick Mahomes is probably the best or top two quarterback in the league, but he also does not like a physical game. He doesn't like to get pushed around. He doesn't get like getting knocked down. If they can get physical with Tua, I think it's going to make a strong, strong impact on his ability in this game. Yeah, Tua wants to get the ball out quick yep. and getting getting hit and constantly getting off schedule is one of those things that can frustrate a, a QB like Tua who, again, has played so well this season. Like mm-hmm. The Tua discourse has almost gotten toxic because everyone's like, well, if you're a... Like, even Josh Allen's game isn't as bad as Tua's worst game, right? I'm like, this is... This has become nonsensical comparison for people who want to relitigate Tua's draft status and they just want to be right about stuff. He's had a good season. He's had a really good season. He's got elite weapons and a great head coach that know how to maximize his skill set. What is fair to say is that skill set is still limited. And if you get him off schedule, if you hit him a little bit, if you pressure him like 90% of the QBs in the league, it's going to affect his on-field play. And that's a fair, fair, absolutely fair statement to make, right? Yep. Um, I, 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 I have a sinking feeling that you're right. I, I, I just keep again wanting to relitigate and be right about predictions. Yes. I said at the beginning of the season the Bills are going to play more more press man because they were sick of getting beat by Tyreek Kill on Kansas City and mm-hmm. and all that all that cushion they gave them under 13 seconds would force a change in defensive philosophy. And to me, the draft of Elam was the the harbinger of that change in philosophy. But I think you're right. I think the Bills are going to play a bunch of zone. They're going to try to force Tua to the boundaries, and they're going to hope that their pass rush, led now by Greg Rousseau, is ultimately going to get home. This is a very weak Dolphins offensive line, as we have observed. This was not a pass rush in Week 3, I think a lot due to the weather, that was really able to exploit the weaknesses in that Miami offensive line. But this is an offensive line that I think the Bills are... There is an edge to this Bills defense because they lost that Week 3 game. You hear it in some of the post-practice press conferences from some of these defensive players. They know they didn't have all their guys. They know that they kind of let one get away in Week 3. This defense is going to be playing with an extra edge this week. Um, And I I feel like this Bills defensive line is going to make some hay. Going to make some hay in the pass rush game here for sure. And the Dolphins are going to have to figure out something in in the run game if they're going to take any pressure off a tour of this pass game, not just because of the pressure that the Bills can potentially apply, but because weather, yet again, because we're not going to build a dome in Buffalo, is going to be a factor for this game. Chilly temperatures in the low 20s to high teens and a prediction of 6 to 8 inches in Buffalo on Sunday. Not ideal passing conditions for either team, but particularly a warm weather team in in Miami that had heaters on the sideline in their game in LA because 55 degrees was too cold. Right. Yep. So and to us statistically, and I don't, I, I, there's not a big sample size in games below 40 degrees is not played well. Like he's Owen two in those games and has some of his worst QBRs. So I don't know. I think, I think everything, whatever we want to say is going to happen in coverage. Everything that this defensive front does is going to be what matters most in this game. If they can get pressure and they can get to two in under three seconds, I think it's going to be a walk in the park for the Buffalo Bills. If they can't and they let Tua pick apart that zone, I think it's going to be a long day at the office. Absolutely. I think that's true. And I think that um, the, the Bills defense has a, a great opportunities, great opportunities. Taron Armstead on the left tackle um, for the Miami offensive line, 
he's dealing with three different injuries that he's been dragging around for multiple weeks, and he looked incredibly slow at his get-off. He looked like he was getting beat by any speed rusher any time they came, especially if it was like a CB blitz or something like that. Teron Arm said, who's a, a good tackle, a good tackle in this league. He's kind of late in his career, but definitely was elite at a time and is very good now. Um, was just not looking like he could get to the edge and, and help Tua out. And so I think that the edges, I think their right tackle is also a second or third stringer at this point. And so they're missing some of the key pieces. Um, and I, I'd like to see Greg Rousseau, who hit a rookie wall at this time last year, prove that he's taken that next step to be the leading rusher for a team in the absence of Von Miller. And so there's a lot that I'm really excited about with this Bills defense. Additionally, um, you know, in terms of just the location, this Bills defense is much stronger at home statistically and by the eye test um, than it is on the road and has been. The Miami, and kind of flipping the field a little bit, the Miami Dolphins defense has been abysmal on the road. They've actually looked Terrible. stronger at home. It's, it's night and day when they're home versus on the road. I think the one thing that has been somewhat of a consistent that the Bills really need to worry about, and I'm worried about, is that the the front pass rush for the for the uh, Miami Dolphins is very strong. No matter where they are, it's really the coverage that looks to suffer when they're traveling. And they've had a rough yeah. stretch. I think that there's the narrative if the Bills run away with this one or if they just handily win like they did against the Patriots or something like that and control the game from start to finish, the narrative might be that the, you know, the Dolphins fans especially will be like, well, they they, they played two games on the West Coast. This was the third in a um, – the third in a three-game road stretch, and they were coming back from the West Coast on a short week, and they played late on Sunday, and you know, this so is what? Saturday, you know, that's the that's, that's the season when... we played back-to-back games in Detroit, <laughs> and then we went got where did we go? Oh, yeah. Well, what, it was I back, mean, give me a... back to back in Detroit, yeah. then on the road to Patriots. In yeah, games, give me a... twelve days. Yeah, give me a break. Yeah, but yeah, that's what I'm saying. Shut up. That's what yeah. it is. Is like they're gonna if they lose, they'll be whiners about it, and uh, we'll talk about how the Bills, you know. Made it extra cold on their sideline. <laughs> yeah, because we have the ability to do that. Yeah. That's by our weather is by choice in upstate yes, New York. Exactly. Yeah, that's pick, how that works. You can pick which part of the stadium is colder. So, yeah. um, are you are you ready to get into some some predictions? Some uh, you looking the crystal ball, crystal ball on this one? Yeah, I do. I do. I want to. I want to. What do you think the Bills' offense is going to do with okay. this game? Yeah, though? no, that's because we. Need, we need so. So I just want to I want to circle back to this point that you made about the pass rush for Miami, which is very good when they rush four. But JJ, they don't often only rush four. No, they 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 yeah. they like they blitzed LA and Justin Herbert fifty six percent of his dropbacks. They got they got and pressure quite a lot too. It, it, they do right. I mean, their blitzes generate a lot of pressure, but there it also leaves their their back end coverage yeah. so vulnerable. And to me especially against this Bills offensive line, this is not a situation where you're Miami and you know you have coverage issues that you should feel a need to rush any more than four because your four versus our five are probably going to win. So I'm curious to see what the Dolphins do here. Josh Allen, from a completion percentage standpoint, hasn't been as effective against the Blitz as he has been over the past two seasons. He's completing just a shade under 60% of his passes this year against the Blitz. But his um, big play explosive play ratings, his yards per attempt against the Blitz, and um, the Buffalo Bills, uh, his TD versus INT ratio against the Blitz 
are all outstanding, mm-hmm. right? I mean, basically, you blitz Josh Allen, and if you don't bring him down, he's going to hit a home run ball yeah. to Diggs or to Davis or to somebody. So if I'm Miami, maybe I, maybe I do blitz because I think the weather is going to take some of that stuff away. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the Bills haven't proven that they can hit that home run ball over the past few weeks. So maybe early on in the game, we see Miami's defense try to blitz, try to go with their game plan. And then second half, depending on how things are going, maybe we see more of that zone. I'm just, I'm, I'm confused because it seems like Miami runs a defense in a way that tells me they don't understand their personnel. Yeah. You have coverage issues, so you should want to drop more guys into coverage. They don't. They bring more heat and they put less guys in coverage. You've got a pass rush that can win with four versus anybody's five, but you don't rush with just four. Like, I, I don't understand the deep For everything that I love about the offensive scheming that this team has worked out, I do not understand this defensive scheming. It, it seems like it doesn't understand the personnel that they have. So for me, I see the Buffalo Bills in this offense and being able to exploit some of that with some blitz beaters, some screens. JJ, how about some flip and play action? <laughs> Yeah. Do, you, do you want to know what Josh Allen's pass rating is when he curious. goes to... I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath. So, yes, let's go. So a perfect passer rating is 158.3. His passer rating on play action is 132.9 this season on hot. 83 attempts. Completion percentage on play action of 75%. Damn. Why, for the love of God, are we... in 8 TDs to 0 INTs on play action, by the way. Why aren't we running more play action against these teams that we know are going to blitz Josh? If I don't see play action in this game, JJ, I'm going to lose my mind. Okay. I'm going to lose it. Yeah. Absolutely lose it. I'll tell you I one, think that's got to be a key for yeah. this. From watching the, tw- the All-22, I'll tell you one thing about play action that might answer this question for you. It's that Ken Dorsey does not trust the offensive line for the extra .75 second that they need for Josh Allen to turn his back to the pass rush. Because in play action, it's not just dropping with your eyes downfield. It's turning your back to the pl- to the pass rush and then snapping around and making a read and throwing it. Um, and that is that is the reason we don't see as much play action is because there have been times, particularly with Spencer Brown, particularly with Ryan Bates, and particularly with Roger Saffold, in which one second after the snap, there is pressure to the inside. And so with a play action... I mean, there's no, there's no answer. There's no answer on offense um, that's going to make you feel better about the fact that there's too, too quick pressure in order to totally commit and execute a play action fake. Josh Allen is one of the best play action ball handling quarterbacks in the league. Like that is an understated quality of his that I don't think he gets enough credit for often, of being able to actually fake out the defense by committing to what it should look like if you're going to hand the ball off when and then you keep it roll out those those sorts of things. He's excellent at it, but they don't trust their own offensive line to hold up for 2 seconds. Cuz with a straight drop back pass, he can get it out in 2 and a half seconds. With a play action pass, he needs 3. And that's the difference. But that it, but that's where he's at anyway, right? Yeah, because yeah. he's waiting for these perfect zone beaters to the boundaries because he's not using the middle of the field as we established. Yeah. Right. I mean, so so give me Josh Allen on play action for 2.8 seconds as opposed to Josh dancing in the pocket, watching it collapse around him and yeah. rolling out for 2.8 seconds, sure. right? Like, it, he's going to be hanging on to the ball, it seems like, no matter what. So at least try to create a little bit of deception 
to help your wide receivers gain some more separation, bait some of these safeties and cover too high up by establishing the run game and then duck it over them in a great play action play. Like I, I just, I, I don't know, man. I mean, listen, my only play calling experience is what coach Taylor calls in Friday night lights. So right. I, I don't know if any of this is right, yeah. but if the issue is timing, the timing is delayed no matter what, if it's a straight drop back or a play action because of how limit, how limited Josh's field distribution from middle to the boundaries, how limited it's been recently. So play action at least creates some deception and some added avenues for Josh to get rid of the ball in that 2.8 seconds, right? Yeah, yeah. no, you're not, yeah. you're not wrong. I'm just saying that's that's probably why they're not calling it is because they don't no, want I to think get you're, blown up from behind. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely think the weakness yeah. of the offense, the offensive line, man, it just yeah. limits the how dynamic this offense can or can't be. So, yeah, it'll be... An, It'll be interesting to see, but so, uh, everything is, yeah. it's all going to be about how yeah. the Bills handle that pass rush from Miami well, for sure. Absolutely. And I think that the biggest thing is it just makes me think of the, pa- not the Patriots, the, uh, the Chiefs game in week six, where um, the Chiefs decided after the first quarter that they were just going to send the house at Josh Allen it, every play. And it worked. It blitzed shut, it the shit shut out of down them. the Buffalo Bills offense for like four or five drives. Eleven straight yeah. plays. Yes, we, we we recounted it on yes. the pod. It took that. It took Dorsey eleven plays to figure yes. out that blitz. Yeah. But then once he did, and Josh Allen had some quick, easy reads to replace the blitz with the ball, they were they were cooking right. Like it was good then. And so that I think it, that's going to be experience that they may need to draw on because the quick replace the blitz with the ball, those, and like that's the that's part of the reason that Beasley I think was signed. Is because mm-hmm. I don't think that they have any confidence whatsoever in the slot, in Davis, in anyone outside of Diggs or in Knox, in a, in in terms of getting to a to a landmark when a blitz is coming, reading the proper you know getting the right reads and tells from the defense, knowing that you need to stop your route or stem your route short, and turning around and being ready for the ball, they have not been there for Josh Allen. Yeah, like. And yeah, so that's 100%. why it took 11 plays is I don't think it was as much Dorsey or, or even Josh Allen being ready to beat the blitz. I think it was the wide receivers just not hitting their landmarks, spinning around and getting that ball or finding a soft spot in the, the drop zone. Um, and so that's why they, they had to sign, you know, a retired Beasley yeah. is just because they yeah. need somebody that, that know that understands, has the smarts on the field to just turn around and be ready for the ball. Cause Stefan Diggs does, but when you're sending that blitz, if you know, that's the only option you just jam him up or bracket him. And then Josh has nowhere to go with the ball because you know, right. Isaiah McKenzie's and it renders, not, yeah. Isaiah McKenzie's it renders not, everything else useless. Yeah. He's not turning around in front of the safety and Davis isn't cutting it in at seven yards. Like he should be. He's trying to get to 15. It's like, that's what I see on, on the film is it's, it sometimes befuddles me. And I want to blame Dorsey because I was like, well, that's the wrong route to cover against this, you know, when they're definitely showing that they're bringing the house. But then I think about it, I'm like, maybe it's not the wrong thing to, to call. Maybe it's the wrong execution. Yeah, I think a lot of this boils down to execution. I'm, I'm less that it's a scheme problem yeah. and more of a, the guys on the field executing problem, which, again, I get in the scenario that you just described it You're not going to run a lot of play action with that because you don't have the personnel that can execute crisply enough to to be able to right exactly no one no one's getting to their landmarks and their routes that quickly at this point because the bills other than digs 
aren't really executing at a really high level when it comes to their route trees, which man, who, who, who would have thought we'd be there. Right. So we were talking, well, and I, I think the Crowder injury hurt quite a lot. I think Davis not making a full step up into number two ride receiver skill level area hurt a lot. And we're in this world where people who are mad at Isaiah McKenzie for not being this perfect Cole Beasley replacement in the slot are forgetting the fact that he's not a young player in this league. He's been around for mm-hmm. six or seven years, and he's always been this. Like, he makes yeah. a couple of good plays a game. He drops two or three boneheaded balls per game that are hit him right in the hands. He, His drop rate's crazy. He's a high-variance player who's never been consistent or reliable. He can make an explosive play, but then he can muff a punt the next play. Like, it's that's his whole thing. That's why there's never been a free agent market for him. And that's why he comes back to the Bills for peanuts. And Davis is what Davis is. He's great on the scramble drill. He's good when he has a perfect seam ball to catch and, and wrestle away from a Steeler safety. But he's not a player who's super precise in his route running. He's not great with separation. And he is not, you know, nuanced in kind of finding his own way in routes. So, telling you, man, I think we should get some to some predictions here. But <laughs> if the Bills, yeah. if the Bills offense can't get it going against this Miami defense, we've got larger problems. I think sure. so. Yeah. So th- this is going to be the show me game. I think this week, if the Bills struggle like they get in, did against the Jets, I think yeah. we know what we, we what we see with this offense. It's time to take as reality. So. So, great segue into prediction, sure to go yeah. wrong. So, let's start with some final score stuff. What do you got? So, I do think <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash the, uh, the consistency button for myself. Bills over and cover. Uh, I think Bills win 28-17. The, the points right now are Bills by 7 and uh, 44 over under. So yeah i'm gonna go um i'm taking the under and i'm taking bills not to cover because i think it's a seven and a half point spread at this point okay yep. um i'm gonna take the bills 24 17 against the miami dolphins All so right. they win by seven but they don't cover and i'm taking the under on 41 overall points and weather is going to be a factor here again jj i think we do need to do a pod where we just talk about the benefits of a dome at some point yeah. again because this this offense that they have built is just not not built for these conditions. The New England game was different. That was a cold game, but it wasn't windy yeah. in that wild card game. It wasn't snowing or raining uh, in that dry, wild card game. Dry it was cold. dry and just cold. Yep. We are not playing in those conditions last week, and we're not playing again in them this nope. week. So, yeah. Yeah. We've got a speedboat, and we're playing in a bathtub of a stadium. So, we'll see how that goes. Um, any interesting prop bets you have? I've got a couple. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got three. I've got uh, Ed Oliver one and a half sacks. I've got the under. I think he's going to get one. I don't know if he's going to get two. It's not a two sack game, but I do like him inside against these guards. He does so much that doesn't show up on the yeah. stat sheet. Like he's he the the discourse around him is a lot like what it was about Edmonds last year. Edmonds just cleans up a lot of stuff that doesn't yeah. show up on the stat sheet. And this year he's he's really starting to pop statistically. Oliver's in that boat right now where like he is essential to what the Bills are doing on the interior of that pass rush. So um, I'll take under two. I'd love to see Ed get a sack. It would help my prediction that he would lead the team in sacks. Yeah. So I'll go under and I'll, I'll say one. Okay. Yeah. Pretty good. I've got my second is Josh Allen, 2.5 overall touchdowns. 
I mean, man, if he doesn't do it against this defense with this vibe revenge game in these conditions, what, when are they going to do it? When are they going to yep. get right? They're running out of time to get right. So I'm going to take over just on a hope and a prayer. Okay. And do you have a, a prediction of how many? Three. Three. Okay. Three. I like it. I, that's what I was guessing as well. Um, and just as a you know check-in on statistics and history making, um, Josh Allen, uh, if he ends up getting a third sack, or a third, third sack, if he ends up getting three touchdowns in this game, he will have uh, 170 t- touchdowns, and he'll be one behind Dan Marino for the most overall touchdowns in the first five players of a of a or first five seasons of a player's career. So, three touchdowns would be great because he'd be within striking distance of of overtaking and becoming the NFL history historical leader in that category. That would be awesome. Yeah, well deserved for Josh. Absolutely. Well deserved for sure. All right. Uh, my I've little, got my, my final yeah, prop. Yep. Beasley, five or more snaps on offense. What do you got? Oh, over. Yeah. I mean, they signed they play? signed him for the yeah. yes they signed they, they yes they signed him for this game. Okay. I mean, they didn't they didn't sign him to to tutor Khalil Shakir and <laughs> how to beat a zone. They they signed him to play. So, um, which is crazy when you think about where they're at personnel wise. But yeah, I, I mean, I think he's gonna. I think we're. I, I think we're going to see him on the very first third and seven, third and eight that the Bills have, and we're going to see Allen go to him. Absolutely. So Third and Beasley. Yep, third and Beasley. That is the measure. All right, I got one. Yep. Kair Elam oh. over under 24.5% of the snap count on Sunday Ooh. or Saturday, tomorrow. 24.5? So, like, you're, yep. you're over a quarter is, of the snaps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go under because I think there's problems there. I think he doesn't play a, a defensive snap again. That I this is this is the game you draft this kid. For. I know, I know if it's, it is. If it's and, and I'm smashing I, yes, the conspiracy button. Dude. I don't think it's it's going to happen. I'm going to take the over just because okay. my belief in the universe and rational thinking <laughs> has to win out. Over like with I hope. just I just type I'm going to take hope. over with hope. Yes. Over with hope. Right. This is this is this. And manning up Travis Kelsey are why you draft this kid. Yeah. Like, I, I don't disagree so like he, with you, but I'm just yeah. so hopeless on him. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did okay. have a play action. I did have a play action prop that you talked me out of because you're right. Miami is going to blitz the shit out of this. And if they're going to rush six or more, it's suicide to do play action with yeah. that offensive you, line. <laughs> you just got to spread it out and try to get everybody yeah. in very short hook zones as fast as yep. you can. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's what's going to have to happen. So, all right, man. I'm good. You okay. good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, awesome. I'm excited for this game. I'm terrified of this game. I want to see the Bills just completely destroy the Dolphins in this game. I don't want to see a shit ton of snow on the field. Uh, that's where I'm at. Folks, let this be a lesson for you. Don't let your kids grow up to be podcasters on the Buffalo Bills. We, <laughs> we just projected all of our anxiety on all yes. of our listeners in yes. this podcast, for sure. But if you're still listening, like, share, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Spotify, and Apple. And as always, go Bills. Go Bills.